Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, back after a long sojourn through Scotland. Uh, thanks for to Bob Mackey for taking over the podcast last week. I, it sounds like the show was in capable hands, though he did change the music on me. He did. Uh, <laughs> not cool. Not cool changing the music on the podcast. But uh, I don't know. I've heard good things about it, so I, I might have to actually go back and listen to the music. But in any case, I'm here with my co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello. And we have a special guest. Um, and we've been trying to get him on the podcast for quite a long time now. <laughs> and that would be Kotaku's Jason Schreier. We Yay. are finally here. Nice to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I love that this show is called Acts of the Blood God. That's I'm just excited to keep to get to tell people, hey, I'm on Acts of the Blood God. <laughs> it's extra bloody. Extra bloody. The Blood God is pleased to have you on board the show, Jason, because you, um, if people aren't familiar with you, and I would guess most people are, um, you have been a long time, I I suppose, booster of JRPGs and RPGs in general over at Kotaku. Um, You are well known for your opinions on these things. Um, uh, you you have strong opinions on, on some of the more niche games, actually. Mm-hmm. I have takes. I have takes to give out to everyone. You have all of the takes. Um, particularly, you're a huge fan of Suikoden, and yes. you have been very clear in your love of Suikoden for a long time now. Mm-hmm. You're okay by me. Yes. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I'm always pleased when someone, like a reader, emails me and they're like, hey, I just tried Suikoden 2 because of you and it blew my mind. That always gets me stoked. You know, it's kind of funny because um, I think back back in the day, you used to have a JRPG column with Joystick, if I recall yep. correctly. And I ended up taking out taking on that column from yep, you after you left. Joined Kotaku, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and my first thought was, the first thing that I read from you was your final post, and you were extolling the virtues of Suikoden 2, and like what an amazing <laughs> RPG it was. And I had heard, you know, I of course I had heard of Suikoden 2, I had seen it around, but as some people know, I missed out on it the first time around, because it was pretty rare when I got a PlayStation. So I was definitely uh, thinking of that when I finally got to play it last year, and I got to say, it definitely lived up to um, the standards or the the hype. Mm-hmm. It it's obviously like one of the best RPGs I've ever played. So, one of the rare games that actually lives up to expectations for people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so, you're also a big fan of the Trails series, and I suppose that's a good opportunity to jump into one of the first pieces of news of uh that we've been hearing about trails of cold steel 3 um which has not come out yet um and it's being possibly pitched as a playstation 4 exclusive um jason do you have any thoughts on that front yeah well so uh it's interesting so trails of cold steel that came out here last year even though it had been in japan for a while and so u.s gamers haven't even gotten the second one yet uh that comes out here i think it's going to be within the next month or two um so pretty soon and then trails of cold steel yeah that's still in development um it's interesting the first two games came out for vita and ps3 uh and obviously there's no point in releasing a new ps3 game these days Mm -hmm. so the falcom the developers decided to move to ps4 for the third game um but they're considering ditching Vita. And I imagine for it's for a variety of reasons. One is that they have to kind of uh, uh, restrict themselves in what they can do uh, graphically and technically 
uh, on the PS4 if they also have to worry about a Vita porn. Yeah. Not that they're making the most high-end production value type games, uh, but I can I can see why they wouldn't want to have to worry about uh, also making that game for a system with lower memory. Um, and yeah, I actually noticed that I, I it's a bummer because I prefer playing all JRPGs on portable systems, but I noticed while playing the first game on my Vita that it has some performance issues. So I can see what they're going for with this. Yeah, I can absolutely see that as well. Um, though... I suppose over in Japan, the Vita is like kind of dropped off a little bit over in Japan. Um, and the PlayStation 4 has been steadily rising. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense for it. Um, I think that it's kind of con- going to continue flying under the radar here in the US, unfortunately. I- I'm kind of curious, uh, Jason, how did you feel that how did you feel Trails of Cold Steel ended up comparing to Trails in the Sky, for which you are kind of well known for being a fan of that series? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, so have you guys played uh, the Cold Steel? <laughs> I have Cold actually. Yeah. I have not. Yeah. Okay. Well, so yeah. So I mean, the the thing to know about this series, it's very much a traditional turn-based JRPG series. Um, it's all set in the same world, all of the different Trails games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's the Trails in the Sky games. There are three of those. Um, there's another series that hasn't been released in the U.S. called Trails of Azure. I think that's the kind of unofficial English name for them. Um, and then there's Trails of Cold Steel. And they're all set in the same giant world, just on different continents. Mm-hmm. And so they all reference one another. And they all it has that kind of sweet code and feel where it really, like, you get the sense that you're you're playing these games that all feel like... Uh, one big world. It's like Game of Thrones almost, where you're like playing different seasons of the show <laughs> in different parts of, of the world. Um, so that's really cool, and that's one of the things I've always loved about this series. Um, there are different types of games, Cold Steel versus Trails in the Sky. Trails in the Sky is much more of a uh, a peppy like two people going on an adventure and meeting people along the way and saving the world while cold steel is much more it has some persona influences it's about nine students who are part of this team and they go to high school uh during the day and then they go out and go on field trips and fight monsters and do all sorts of quests and uh learn things about the politics of the country that they're living in and it touches upon all these themes like the about classes and uh nobles versus commoners and stuff like that and it's actually the pace is much slower than the trails in the sky games which can be brutal some of the time um it's very much a slow burn and from what i hear it's it gets a lot better in in the second game uh which as i mentioned before is coming out in a month or two um I actually like Trails in the Sky better, but I still think Cold Steel is a great game, especially if you play the other Trails games and like you appreciate the world and want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trails of Cold Steel is a game that kind of wants you to have a strong investment in the world at large. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, I totally agree with your... Uh, your reading of it as a slow burn. In fact, I think that was my headline uh, when I was writing about it last year was that Trails of Cold Steel was the slowest of burns. And it it really was. (laughs) Which, um, but that didn't necessarily mean that it was a bad game. Um, It it does a really good job of kind of setting itself up, um, introducing all of the different characters. Um, It has, the battle system 
didn't really make much of an impression on me. Um, in fact, like I'm struggling to remember the exact details of it right now. Um, there's like there are like magic attacks and there are skill attacks and the the way and they have different patterns. Um, and then you can attach things to your weapons and that kind of thing. Uh, so, like all in all, I, I feel like the story matters a lot more in these games than the actual mechanics, mm-hmm. which I think will appeal to a particular subset of JRPG fans. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I think actually Trails of Cold Steel is maybe more accessible to someone who's coming into it for the first time rather than Trails in the sky and because uh, the the persona concept of having a whole bunch of people and like together in a school with like lots of vignettes and everything i feel like plays a lot more to a large a larger audience you can kind of pick your favorites and that kind of thing Uh, and beyond that of course um graphics aren't everything but it's certainly more graphically advanced than Mm -hmm. trails in the sky so what do you think of that jason um, I don't know. Well, so the pro- the biggest problem with Cold Steel is the pacing. Uh, it's paced very sluggishly. I mean, I would say poorly in that uh, the, it's structured in different chapters. And for each chapter, it begins with you in school and like you take a couple of quizzes and classes and you have free time where you can bond with your fellow classmates. Um, and then you have to go through this dungeon at the beginning of every chapter called the old schoolhouse and you do a different level of the dungeon um, for in, in each chapter that you're playing through. Um, and then after that, you go on a field trip somewhere and that's where the really good stuff happens and that's where the story really advances and there's a lot of action and interesting stuff happens. But the problem is towards the middle and the end of the game as the plot really picks up steam during those field trips you immediately find yourself back in the school setting and like you have another hour or two of just like boring filler before (laughs) you actually get back to the good stuff um so so it can be a real drag when like at the end of chapter four you see this crazy revelation and then nobody talks about it again for another (laughs) two hours until after you explore the same old schoolhouse over and over again um i think trails in the sky is a lot better about like keeping you invested and engaged and throwing new stuff at you and it's not it doesn't have that same kind of rote structure that cold steel does um graphically yeah it's 2d as opposed to cold steel which is 3d i actually prefer the graphics of uh, uh trails in the sky it makes me think of a ps1 game whereas cold steel makes me think of like a ps2 game and i always felt that 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 two-dimensional ps1 games look better than like kind of clunky polygon based 3d graphics um so i would actually recommend trills in the sky for first timers over cold steel um and then once you're kind of invested in that world you'll appreciate cold steel a lot more because in trails in the sky they always talk about this country erebonia which is seen as like this big evil foreign nation and then cold steel is set inside erebonia so it's like oh hey these guys are people too like you're meeting the citizens of erebonia and it turns out they have their own problems and they're just another country they're not like these evil uh, uh uh this evil empire that they're kind of portrayed in in trails in the sky sometimes nadia how important to you is pacing in an rpg does it really bother you if an rpg moves at a kind of a slow considered pace uh, if, it's, if it's a consistent pace, I find it a lot more palatable. Um, it a lot depends on how much I care about um, the characters within. Uh, if I am invested in them and I want to see what they're going to do next, I can deal with going through, slogging through like old schoolhouses and whatnot. 
Yeah, um, I think pacing I can deal with as long as it uh, it kind of picks up as time goes on. I think yeah, Persona 4 is exactly. a really good example of that mm-hmm. in the respect that uh, most everybody knows that you have to kind of slog through the first hour, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the same goes for Valkyrie Profile, to be perfectly honest. But once once you get through that kind of long-winded uh, introduction, once the game finishes clearing its throat, it's kind of like, and we're off. <laughs> and right? here we go. Yeah, that to me is a little different than than bad pacing. Like, I think a bad intro and the bad pacing of an intro is very common in video games, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but but bad bad pacing to me, when I hear that, I think of more like a game that is just like totally throughout the game. It just feels like it's something isn't right. Like it's too slow at some points, too quick at others, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, and like JRPGs in particular have a reputation for kind of being poorly paced, being kind of slow and that kind of thing. Yeah. But we've seen in the past um, that JRPGs can be really well paced, actually. I mean, I would think, I would consider Suikoden 2 as an excellent example yeah, of a game that just, That's a game hits that just you with plot point after plot point after plot point after plot point, right? And yeah. so like, you're like totally into it all the time. Yeah, but even that is kind of a slow ending uh, during the parts where you have to, like, go do errands for Victor and Flick at the Mercenary Fortress, and you have to, like, screen- clean the floors. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that is true, I never actually. had so much fun cleaning floors. <laughs> That's true. There is that, yeah. I mean, in, in Final Fantasy VI, of course, starts with that fascinating mystery of what the heck is going on with these crystals, and who's this girl in the walker, yeah. and, like, what is going on here? And... And then just like, as we said, and we're off. Um, but uh, piggybacking a little bit on your discussion about um, trails of uh, recommendation of trails in the sky over trails of cold steel, I think one thing that's kind of hampering trails of cold steel right now is its accessibility. Um, the fact yes. that it's only available on the PlayStation 3 and the Vita. Um, one platform which is totally outdated and one which is only on a handheld that's let's be honest a kind of a cult prospect yeah um kind of limits its availability and its appeal which is unfortunate yeah it is i wouldn't be surprised to see them try to get it on pc at some point because i know that pc has been really successful for the trails series and for exceed the publisher in the u.s uh for them in general pc has done really well um but that requires getting falcom's programmers to help out with ports and that is uh, no small task because Falcom's a really small company. Yeah, that's the tricky part for any localization studio, right? Is being able to get the Japanese studio to take notice long enough to be able to be willing to do some of that crucial programming. Um, And I'm really grateful that Trails in the Sky is available on the PC because that just, it makes it so much more accessible. And my hope is that, and my hope is that Trails in the Sky Three being on the PS4 will make it perhaps more accessible to a greater variety of RPG fans here in the West. Yeah, the problem is that you need to play the first two. I mean, I assume at least with the second one, like you can't really start it without playing the first one. So I can't uh, imagine that the third one would be like uh, that you'd be able to just jump in without having played the first two. But I don't know. I guess we'll see uh, since the game isn't even finished yet. Yeah. We'll see how accessible they make it. I would love to see Falcom like try it. Well, so so assuming the game doesn't come out until next year, I think that's what they're aiming for in Japan. Um, XE doesn't get to start localization until it's actually released. Um, so it wouldn't come out in the U.S. for another like 
year and a half, two years after that. Wow. So we won't be seeing that one here for a long time. Um, but uh, uh, hopefully by that point, they can get Falcom to report the first two games to PS4 <laughs> or PC or both. Uh, this might sound kind of blasphemous, but I actually played Trails in the Sky 2 before I spent much time with Trails in the Sky. Wow. Yeah, um, I know that Trails in the Sky ends on a cliffhanger. Um, and I basically was like, eh, spoiled myself on the end of Trails <laughs> in the Sky, which whatever. But then that gave me the grounding to be able to jump right into Trails in the Sky too. And, and that's so fun. Did you still enjoy it? Oh, yeah. No, um, because the characters felt, um, well, like they were well sketched out, right? And it... I think a good RPG is a good RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, a good RPG can stand on its own regardless of what came before it. I think Bravely Second is actually a, a pretty good example of that. I, I think yeah, it fills that you, you in can, too. yeah, I think you can comfortably enjoy Bravely Second without playing the first game. I, I don't know if that will end up being the case with Trails of Cold Steel, but I do know that I was like. I ended up playing Trails in the Sky too because so many people had recommended Trails in the Sky, and I was like, well, I need to. I really need to have some grounding in this series, and I need to be able to talk about it. So I think I will play it. And I got into it, and was like, "All right, I, I feel pretty good about like just being able to enjoy it on its own merits without having to have played the original game." Though, if, but of course, <laughs> it's strongly recommended that you play the first game uh, because it is like one like actual story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think Cold Steel is the same way. I don't know. I, I might have a different different thoughts after I beat Cold Steel 2 and see how that ends. But from what I hear, it's three parts of one big story. Um, so it's it's a similar sort of thing. Although, actually, interestingly, um, so Exceed is also releasing Trails in the Sky, the third, uh, the third game in that trilogy. Uh, and so that is actually kind of almost like a side story. Like it has a lot of the same characters, but it's, it's a, a, not a, it's not like a, a necessary sequel to the story of Trails in the Sky, the first two games. Those are kind of like a duology. And then there's a third game also. Um, so maybe the Cold Seal series will be similar. I'm not 100% sure because I haven't, I've tried to avoid all spoilers for Cold Steel 2. So I don't really know what they're planning for the third game. It's almost going to be like the Cowboy Bebop movie, um, only yeah. hopefully it'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, final thoughts on Trails of uh, the Trail series in general, Jason? They're awesome, man. Nadia, you should play them all. I, I'm going to add it to the list along with the Persona series. Nadia, throw it on the pile. The pile. <laughs> the homework pile. Some more homework <laughs> yeah, for you right here. Homework. <laughs> all right um yeah everyone should play them i i would recommend starting with trails in the sky um especially because you can play it on pc or like vita slash psp so you can that's pretty much i mean most people can it's also like the type of game that you can run on pretty much any pc it's not a graphically intensive game mm-hmm. so if you have a laptop with integrated graphics or something you can play it there um and yeah i would recommend that to anyone who who enjoys role-playing games at all it's a really cool series All right, speaking of um, another kind of classical JRPG that came out not too long ago, I Am Setsuna, which Jason reviewed over on Kotaku. You should go check that out. And Nadia 
has also been playing I Am Setsuna. Um, for those who aren't familiar with I Am Setsuna, it's the first game by Tokyo RPG Factory, the studio set up by Square Enix specifically to make RPGs. Um, it's very much in the classical JRPG style. Like I guess Square Enix finally cottoned on to, oh, people like these old games, and they like games <laughs> in this style. They don't have to necessarily be updated. So let's make some new games in this style. And specifically, I Am Setsuna borrows a lot from Chrono Trigger. Yes. But it's not that long, actually. Um, it's digital only, and it's only about 20 hours. And uh, there's lots of snow. There is a lot of snow. Um, <laughs> yes. A little too much. Uh, I don't know. Jason, where did you grow up? Like, uh, are you from a snowy environment? I grew up in New York. So you know. Uh, so it snows here once in a while, yeah. So, yeah, because uh, playing the game, there's one thing I can say for it. And that is, it just reminds me of home, because even Toronto, which is where I am, gets mm. really snowy. And one thing I really like about I Am Setsuna is you go into these houses, and they're, the people are not only just like really well-equipped for the cold weather, but just their houses are as well. There's like always some sort of food steaming over the fireplace, and it's kind of like back in Toronto, where uh, you have these long, cold winters, but you also have like a million coffee shops, and people pack them mm. in the wintertime. So it just kind of has this real comforting atmosphere that I, that I enjoy very much. Yeah, I'm a big fan of <laughs> I'm a big fan of snow in games in general because I am also from a snowy environment and and we've talked about this before, but um, there's something magical about snow, I suppose, in a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it lends a game a very particular ambiance. Um, actually, one of my favorite environments is um, from the Pokemon series is um, in Pokemon Platinum because. Um, in Pokemon Platinum, you spend most of the game dressed up in like winter wear. Yeah. And there's one point where you go like far to the north and you're basically up to your waist in snow. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 and then the, the snow's falling, like you're in a blizzard, and it just has this kind of magical feel to it. Um, but one of the problems with I Am Setsuna is it's kind of all snow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which kind of speaks to the limitations of its budget, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's definitely some repeat uh, scenery. It's not like that's. I think the biggest, the game's biggest problem. Even though I would go ahead and say it's a good game, um, the fact that it reminds you so much of Chrono Trigger, and you think to yourself, "Okay, I like this game," and it's really not fair to hold it against Chrono Trigger because it's not Chrono Trigger. But at the same time, I can't stop thinking about Chrono Trigger. Like for example, you mentioned the snow and the kind of repeat environments. And, of course, you think about Chrono Trigger, where you go to, like, you know, the past, and you have a lava field and amazing forests and uh, the horrible Pink Floyd-esque future. And it just, it, you just have this variety going on that's not really present in I Am Tatsuna. Yeah, I think that, that when I play RPGs, I also feel like I want that vi- variety, that, like, those diverse locations. And we definitely did not get that in Setsuna, mm-hmm. um, which is which is too bad. But, yeah, I mean, that's it, it was a very small team. Um, you mentioned, Kat, to your point about budget, uh, low budget, that essentially means that they only have X number of people on X amount of time. And they, in this case, that was, uh, they made it in about a year and a half, two years, uh, with a very small team of like, I think it was about 10 full-time staff oh, wow. and some, some contractors, uh, a bunch of contractors for various things, art and, and design and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it, it's very clearly a low-budget game. Uh, I imagine that it was kind of like a, a, 
a debut stepping stone experiment for the developer Tokyo RPG Factory, which was just created two years ago for this game. And hopefully they'll be able to take on more expanded projects in the future now that they've shown that they can make something interesting with this. Um, and, and no matter, and so, so I get the feeling that you were not a huge fan of the game, Nadia, but, um, uh, uh surely you can agree that it's an interesting project. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, I, I haven't finished it yet, to be honest with you, but, um, I, I am definitely, um, I wouldn't say I, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I'm not, I guess you're right. I'm not a huge fan, but uh, I'm I'm definitely very appreciative of the fact that it exists because, as you say, um, I really hope it is the stepping stone to bigger things. And I definitely very much like the idea of Square Enix having this studio dedicated to kind of the more old school RPGs. And I really think that uh, what is it Tokyo Game Factory is that what they're called? Yeah. Oh yeah, I really Tokyo RPG Tokyo Factory. RPG Factory. I just love that name. Um, <laughs> I think that they definitely have the the talent. They have the basis for something that could be really special and really good. And so I'm really looking forward to whatever they have next. Mm. Yeah. Um, so so you mentioned you guys mentioned Chrono Trigger, and I think that's the obvious comparison. There's a lot of Chrono Trigger in there, from the combat system to the actual yeah. names. Uh, which are a lot of which are taken from Chrono Trigger, um, but I actually think it's a lot more. Com- it has a lot more in common with Final Fantasy X. Um, the story structure is very similar, uh, and the kind of principles of guiding this uh, uh, s- princess spellcaster, or whatever this lady who is prepared to sacrifice herself and surrounding herself with guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the main plot. I, I mean, the main a lot of the main plot beats plot beats you can uh, find in Setsuna were also in Final Fantasy X. Um, so it's clear they took a lot of influence from that game as well. Yeah, I've definitely heard the comparisons. Uh, uh, there's a lot of like sorrow and sadness throughout the game. Yeah, that is also it's a it's a very melancholy game, and I think that's mm-hmm. uh, just not the story the story themes as well as the environment. Because as we said, it's kind of dark and snowy, and uh, even though winter is, as Kat says, kind of magical, it's a very depressing time of year. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's magical because I don't live in it. There That's you go. the main important thing. <laughs> um, what did you think of the combat system, Nadia? Um, I appreciate the fact that it's very much like Chrono Trigger, but I also think it's kind of needlessly complicated. Uh, I like the momentum. Yeah kills and stuff like that. I think that's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of stuff going on that I don't get, and I don't really feel like I have to get. Yeah, you're 100% right. I, I beat the game and played some of the side stuff as well, and yeah, I still don't get uh, a lot of yeah. the combat mechanics. They're very unnecessary and weird and kind and of... And they don't explain uh, it so well in, in many instances. No. Like, I had to kind of figure out for myself what the talismans do and uh, why I should equip them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they do not do a very good job of explaining things, um, especially the all the. And yeah, there's like one too many mechanics because you have to worry about the talismans. You have to worry about the stuff called flux. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still flux don't get flux at all. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of. It's basically the the abilities you can get. Um, the sprite knights that you get, which are the these kind of like materia type stones that that each contain an ability, those can all be different and those can all change yeah. uh, and evolve in some ways. But it's never really made clear, and it, it hurts a lot that the inventory system is very clunky and uh, not very the UI is not very great. Yeah. Um, in terms of like sorting things and and keeping track of everything, uh, not to mention all the crafting stuff you get. 
there's a recipe system in the game. Yeah, and even though I spent the entire day- game not getting a single recipe. Yeah, me neither. Like, I, no, sorry, I got one recipe for like mushroom soup or something, and it's like, oh, it sounds delicious, uh-huh. but uh, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> it's very weird. Like, I wasn't. I, I'm still not 100 percent clear. Like, did you get a recipe just by talking to someone? I talked to an NPC in uh, that I forget the name of the town, but it was it was fairly early in the game, and I just happened mm-hmm. to have the ingredients he was looking for. Like, he wanted a bunch of uh, stuff that I'd picked off off the ground, and uh, he was Got like, it. "Oh, um, I'll trade you that stuff." And no, I, I remember now. He's like, oh, "Okay, if you give give me all that," and it's like, "You give it to him because you're a nice person." And he's like, oh, "Okay, fine. I guess you want some." And he gives me the recipe for uh, this this thick soup. I think it was called. Huh. So that never happened to me. And I beat the game. I just never got a single recipe, even though I like hung on to all my crafting, all my recipe stuff, all the stuff in green, and I uh, uh, talked to everybody. I just never yeah, got any it, recipes. It's no. It's like it's kind of weird how the money works in that game too, because or even the sprite night uh, as well, because it's like you have to sell the ingredients and then you can make the the sprite night. It's very odd. Yeah, yeah, very strange system. It didn't really make any sense to me. Um, but yeah, but but. I, I, I like what it was going for. I'm glad it exists, and I'm glad. And I really I enjoyed the game um, a lot, despite all of the flaws that we mentioned. Yeah, um, it's definitely like I say, it's flawed, but it's definitely it has the basis there for something, uh, something really cool. It feels to me like they were kind of layering on a lot of mechanics because they wanted to avoid maybe being called a just a knockoff of Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I really get that impression myself, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really help because let's face it, it's, it's Chrono Trigger. Even the tech names are the same. You have like Cyclone, you have X-Strike. Um, so it, it's got to be one way or the other, guys. <laughs> yeah, there are other big Chrono Trigger things that, that are kind of spoilery, so I won't mention. But yeah, there are a lot of references to Chrono Trigger that, that uh, uh, you don't appreciate until you beat the game. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Does it feel like it's doing a disservice to kind of compare it to Chrono Trigger? Because we've talked about Chrono Trigger a lot already, and it's going to be brought up quite a bit just in general in discussion. It's completely natural. But does this game stand on its own, even without all of the natural comparisons to Chrono Trigger? Um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's definitely a fun game that you could enjoy, even if you haven't played Chrono Trigger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's impossible not to make comparisons because it's clearly so influenced. Like, without Chrono Trigger, this game would not exist. Definitely. Um, or at least it would look totally different. Yeah, so it would be, it's, it would be like, it would be run by a very different mecha- set of rules, I suppose, is the way, the way to mm-hmm. say it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the combat system would look different. Um, uh, a lot of the transitional aspects of it would look different the way that you enter combat like the way in Satsuno when you run into an enemy you see enemies on the battlefield and when you run into one you kind of seamlessly transition into uh, combat yeah. sort of the way Chrono Trigger did it where everyone is like the enemies jump a little bit and move into position and uh, if you're picturing Chrono Trigger it's basically the exact sort of transition uh, so yeah a lot of those kind of big and small things are taken directly from Chrono Trigger so it's impossible not to make direct combat. it really is like you you can't not separate the two. And I don't think Square Enix wanted us to separate them. Yeah, they were big on, like, uh, a lot of their press releases were like, this game is inspired by Chrono Trigger, so they were big on that. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, it's a little baffling that they are so big on talking about Chrono Trigger, but have not released a Chrono game Yeah. Since, what, 2000, Yeah, and of course, Chrono Cross, Chrono Cross was totally different from 
uh, original Chrono Trigger, so it's just kind of odd to kind of go back to the original. Not that I object, but um, mm. I mean, I love Chrono Cross too. I'm pretty grateful they haven't released a new Chrono game because at this point it would probably be a, a mobile release or something. Oh, God forbid. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it would be a disaster. Well, so I, uh, hopefully, I mean, yeah, Setsuna I think is a good game on its own, but I think even more exciting is the potential that it it shows and like the way that it what it means for Square Enix as a developer and and Tokyo RPG Factory and like the way they approach things mm-hmm. because uh, assuming this does this lives up to their expectations sales wise and, and critically, uh, I, f- I can see it opening the door for them to keep releasing these kind of two D or or pseudo three D style uh, RPGs with like that old school feel, which is a very good thing because since they're taking so many risks with games like Final Fantasy, uh, with series like Final Fantasy, yeah. it 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 would also be nice to, for them to have that stuff on the side. And I guess Bravely Default is sort of like that, but that's a little bit different. I'm of two minds about I Am Setsuna. On the one hand, I agree with you, and I think that the development team should be given credit for doing as good a job as they did. Um, it seems like they clearly understood what a, a lot of what worked in Chrono Trigger. Um, you mentioned in your review, Jason, actually, that they went and replayed the original Chrono Trigger and like, mm-hmm. like meticulously like worked out the maps and that kind of thing. And I found that pretty interesting, actually. Um, it shows that they have a certain um, attention to detail, which I think is really important in these games. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just a surface level thing. Like, you have to like really grasp why these games worked because otherwise you're just going to make a pale imitation, right? Absolutely. And I think just by putting it in its own really distinct environment, and then uh, I, I suppose like having um, like having a really distinct tone, like you said that it was like super melancholy, like helps set it apart a little bit. Uh, so in that respect, I think that I am Setsuna is certainly worthy, um, especially given that it's not all that long. So it's like okay, well, this is something that I can dive into. It doesn't feel bloated. Um, with content, it's just for its own sake. Like it has, it, it can do its own. You, you can enjoy it just like in a, I don't know, an RPG snack, I suppose. But um, <laughs> the other mind that I have about it is that it feels more cynical than I would like in the respect that, like Square Enix is kind of set up this studio with the express intention of capitalizing on this nostalgia for older rpg experiences which is fine but like if we if we're talking about like really capturing nostalgia i mean you look at the bravely series which i mean just has a really nice art style to it has its its own kind of flair Mm -hmm. is much bigger feels like a lot more ambitious and i'm not sure how i feel about these games like being done on such a budget, right? Yeah, I guess you're right there because it's um, kind of doing a disservice because Chrono Trigger was one of, I mean, it was the crown jewel of the Super Nintendo. I mean, it's it still looks great today. It does um, the sprite work, everything, and so in that respect, it it feels like a bit of a travesty. I'm not going to lie to do 
to just go full budget with these games um, when you think about the glory of how these games were before. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's about risk, right? So Square has X amount of money that they would uh, can allocate to, to Y number of projects and they put their biggest budgets into the games like Final Fantasy XV that they think will sell the most copies and make the most amount of money. I mean, if you look at the video game industry as a whole, there aren't a lot of big publishers making any sort of like mid-level games or low-budget games the way that Square did I Am Satsuna. That's pretty uncommon in the first place because big budget, uh, pu- big publishers are all chasing the big hits and they're not really so interested in that. Like this sort of thing you would be more likely to see on Kickstarter. So in that yeah, way, it's absolutely. actually kind of a, a, a experiment, uh, like a unique experiment for Square Enix and it, it, it definitely took some uh, 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 risk for them. Um in that they won't hit the bazillion amount dollar <laughs> revenue targets that they're expecting for their other games. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to see them have uh, bigger budgets. The problem is that when you have a game like this that looks like this and doesn't look like Final Fantasy XV or Kingdom Hearts 3, then it's got a limited audience to begin with because it's yeah. only going to sell. It might sell a few hundred thousand copies instead of a few million. Uh, so yeah, so they can only invest so much amount of money. But actually, uh, to your point, Kat, about it feeling cynical um i so there's a part this is mildly spoilerish but if you fly around on the airship later in the game there's an island you can find and you can find a hidden area where uh it's like a developer room which is another one of those old school uh, rpg things Um, yeah and you can talk to all the developers and they all have little messages cute little messages to see and like even reading their messages you really get the sense that they are passionate people who like really care about games like chrono trigger and rpgs in Mm -hmm. general and uh, uh just reading interviews with the director and the people um, to your point before about the the dev team playing through Chrono Trigger they didn't just play through it they like sat down and calculated the specific math of like little things that you wouldn't even think about like the amount of time it takes to beat a battle the amount of time between battles um, the distance of a map they like sat down and actually figured out all this stuff, the nitty gritty wow. granular details. Yeah. So they like really cared about this. And it's, it's, it, it definitely feels like this doesn't feel like a, a soulless mobile game that's like some JRPG knockoff with terrible writing and like clearly uh, cliche storyline. This feels like a game that was made by passionate people. And, and that's not to say it's not flawed because it definitely has a lot of flaws, but you can tell, I think that it was made by people who really care about making games and making cool RPGs. I I totally agree with you. Um, And I think the fact that it doesn't feel like a soulless cash-in, like mobile knockoff of Chrono Trigger is down to a small development team who have a lot of passion for the source material, making use of the limited resources that they were given. Mm -hmm. And that is totally to their credit. And I agree that there is a degree of risk management going on here, right? I mean, there's only a finite number of resources. We're talking about creating kind of a retro experience, which is a niche thing to begin with. And you're, and you're not, and and it's not a, it's a new IP. It's like, it's not a recognizable thing. It's not like you're making Final Fantasy. It's not like you're making Chrono Trigger Reborn or whatever, right? If you make Chrono Trigger Reborn, okay, well, that's a whole different ball of wax. But at the same time, you look at just what's happening on Steam recently. Stardew Valley just explodes out of nowhere, right? Totally new IP. 
And the reason it succeeds was because it takes a familiar concept like Harvest Moon and builds on it and makes it bigger and more wonderful and more fleshed out than ever. And it's a visually attractive game that you just want to look at all the time. And like it grabbed people, like it grabbed people's attention. Mm -hmm. And that was only made by like a couple people. Like I believe it was a smaller team than um, I am Setsam. And one guy. Yeah. Um, and that speaks to the four and a half years right but it speaks to the power of like like this digital platform which square enix is exploring with i am setsna and how like something that is easily accessible and relatively affordable and has like a tried and true concept can really explode with the right audience right Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean not every game can be as as incredible and the capture of the lightning of the bottle of Stardew Valley or like Underdale it might be uh, another good example. Um, not not uh, a lot of games will try to do that and ultimately fail because just there's so many factors and variables involved in game development. Uh, uh, it's it's easier said than done. <laughs> oh, absolutely for sure. Um, but with that said, I think Square Enix is on the right track by kind of exploring yeah, digital definitely. platforms. Um, um, people, I've seen plenty of people complaining about the fact that it doesn't have a retail release, which is fair. Um, I think that there are plenty of people who would enjoy I Am Setsuna who are not the kind of people who are going to download a game on a digital platform, especially not the PC. Yeah. And um, I, I can feel really, their frustration really on that so. one. I, I don't know why uh. those people would even exist today. I feel like... Oh, I know. I know There few. are people who are really <laughs> stubborn. Like, personally... Yeah. I don't understand why that's the case either, but I suppose there are people who are like, well, I don't have very good internet, or I don't have, uh, or they feel like they don't have a good enough computer, or they just like that old ex- older school kind of experience of buying a game on, you know, at retail. Yeah. yeah. Like, these people certainly do exist, and I think they are disproportionately more likely to buy a game like I Am Setsuna, which is that old school experience. With that said, I still think that Square Enix is mostly in the right because a retail release would have cost, you know, money to actually produce and everything. Yeah, exactly. And I think they were trying to limit their risk as much as possible by making it digital only. And just in terms of its scope and everything, I feel like it is appropriate for that kind of platform. Yeah, it's only $40 and they can make... More money, uh, surprisingly, on a $40 digital game than they would on a $60 retail game. So it's, it's yeah. a, a very different case. And, and uh, I think if they tried to sell a $40 di- uh, disc game, people would see it as like a, a, a budget product and it wouldn't do as well. That's generally the sense that people get. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I get the... I understand if people don't have good internet or like have bandwidth caps by their internet providers, but if you're just like old school and you won't buy digital games, I don't know, join, it's like 2016. Fucking get over it. I'm kind of curious. Um, So looking back over the history of RPGs, um, if you could get Tokyo RPG Factory to revisit any kind of other concept, like say, I don't know, let's well, see, Bravely Second has done Final Fantasy V, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
and I am Setson has done Chrono Trigger, what would you want? What concept would you want them to revisit next, Jason? Um, I would say Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, that's the one mm. series kind of, that Square has kind of abandoned and never really quite uh, revisited in the way that they should. Not successfully, anyway. Um, well, Advanced A two wasn't super great. I, I actually like that one. I liked it better than the first. Really? Game, but um, well, I like the first one, but. A2 on the DS, not as good. Uh, but the bigger problem is, like, like Matsuno uh, did this Kickstarter, Unsung Story, that I backed and regret backing every single day because <laughs> it was just a disaster. And GameStop mm-hmm. hasn't come out yet, like, two years later, and they've talked about how, like, it's barely entered development, and they are making it more of a PvP game, and uh, it's uh. just a mess. Um, but yeah, I would love to see them approach that sort of uh, uh, game, or like a Xenogears-type game. Uh, Ooh, Xenogears. Only finished. Yeah, only finished. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully they can do it. Hopefully they can expand their team, because I think they need to be a little bit bigger to really approach these things with the, the weight that they need to. How about you, Nadia? Uh, on the, I would actually like to see them go back to the Enix side of things and uh, do something in the vein of Soul Blazer. Uh, mm. Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, Terranigma. And... Um, yeah, it's like those were just even act raisers. Like those were very, very unique, very atmospheric games. That there's really nothing else like them out there. And I mean, they're all kind of linked in a very vague, interesting way. Um, but there's just I know they're kind of more action RPG ish than, than full out traditional RPG. But I really still think that formula is always worth revisiting. Yeah, whatever happened spe- to Quintet? I I think they just died. Sadly. Well, whatever. Um, I, I wonder where the people all went. Like, if they all just dispersed or left the They industry. all just kind of got beamed up to heaven automatically because <laughs> they deserve it. Beamed up to heaven automatically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I could get someone to revisit a particular formula, I don't, I don't know. I'm a big, I'm a sucker for the Grandia series, um, which, and, and that speaks to the fact that I tend to favor mechanics over story. Like, I, I just love the battle system in those games. Like, I I find it so elegant and fun and action-packed and exciting in the way that uh, you can do the interrupts and everything. So, and it's not, it has been included in other games. Um, I think most notably the um, the Penny Arcade RPGs that came later mm-hmm. um, had a heavy basis in, oddly enough, Final Fantasy XIII and Grandia. And if you haven't played those, you should. They're really interesting. Um, episodes, I believe, three and four. But uh, yeah, so I'm kind of a sucker for those. And But yeah, Xenogears, I think, would be really interesting to revisit. But yeah, so we'll see what ends up coming out of I Am Setsuna. It could end up just being a blip, ultimately. I hope but, not. I really, um, I really want to see more from uh, RPG Factory. I'm actually oh, interviewing I, I think... the, the director next week, so I will bug in oh, and nice. see what else, what they're doing next. Yes, please do. Hopefully they'll be able to yeah. answer, at least vaguely. <laughs> please look forward to it. Yes, please be I'm excited. really looking forward to it. Yes. All right, so thanks for coming on the show, Jason. Um, as always, do you can find you over on Twitter at at Jason Schreier, I believe. Yes, that's uh, J-S-O-N-S-C-H-R-E-I-E-R. Always an entertaining follow. And you can find Nadia over on Twitter at Nadia Oxford. And you can find me at the underscore catbot. 
Uh, Jason, is there anything that you want to promote or highlight right now? Um, just that, and uh, you can always find me on Kotaku.com, and my podcast, Kotaku Split Screen, is another weekly uh, jazz, so check that out, uh, and that's about it. Yeah, you just did a podcast, um, I believe it's What Makes a Good RPG, it's yeah, a big topic. Yeah, what, mm-hmm. what Makes a Classic JRPG, yeah, that's a fun one. Can you... Can you um, Give me, like, one light spoiler on, like, what makes a good JRPG. <laughs> so, Kirk, my co-host, and I, we kind of, like, ran through a, a checklist of, like, elements we would want to see in a, an ideal classic RPG. Um, so there are a couple things. There's, like, the the uh, the music is one of them, and kind of, like, a, a, the abstraction, the, the way that those classic RPGs, like, left a lot of stuff up to your imagination um, in some subtle ways. Uh, and some other elements that you'll have to listen to the show to find out about. <laughs> but nice. yeah, we talk about JRPGs a lot on our show, so if you like this show, I think we have a lot of common listeners uh, between our two shows. But yeah, if you haven't checked us out, uh, we are on iTunes and all that jazz, Kotaku Split Screen. Yeah, if I do. we talk about JRPGs quite a bit on this show as well. Um, Bob did the fall preview uh, for rpgs um in the last episode and i had to kind of chuckle because he i think he picked literally all jrpgs uh <laughs> just like kind of ignoring like deus ex and like uh the the new um obsidian rpg that's coming out um uh, tyranny but uh, what are you gonna do <laughs> uh nadia you just wrote a cover story can you quickly like promote it for us Oh, sure. I actually, uh, my story is about uh, basically uh, authors uh, who were inspired by video games, not like necessarily directly, but uh, indirectly, like grew up with them and kind of were inspired by the settings, the storytelling, like uh, the main fellow I interviewed was uh, Scott Lynch of the uh, the writer of the Gentleman Bastard series. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I you love, probably like the story. I Oh, by all means, go over and uh, and uh, read uh, what I wrote because uh, he had some really interesting things to say about uh, the games he grew up with, um, how Locke Lamora was inspired by Locke by Final Fantasy VI or not really. Uh, <laughs> get to find out for yourself. But that was a that was a lot of fun. So uh, I would love it if you checked it out and let me know what you think. And as usual, you can find Axel Blug on, on iTunes, Stitcher, and every other various podcast formats. Um, check out our flagship podcast, From Us to You. Please subscribe to us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all of those other things. Um, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday. We like to stream retro games on Thursday. Nadia, like, uh, not we're, we're going to be doing a Super Nintendo streaming project pretty soon. So that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, next week, I actually have no idea what we're going to be tackling. We kind of fly by the seat of our pants here, but <laughs> I, um, I'm fully back and I have a lot to write about. Um, I'm kind of like pushing away the fog of whiskey and Scottish Highlands and <laughs> getting back into the RPG groove. I've been playing a lot of pocket card jockey. Does that count as an RPG? Yes, sure. it counts or- as a holy artifact from God himself. So it's good enough. Yeah, Rapidash King has been really tearing it up in the the last set of r- runs, so I'm really excited <laughs> about that. Yeah, um, I named my guy uh, Rapidash too, the uh, Sun Boy, whatever his name is, the orange uh, horse. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, mine's Rapidash King, so yeah, so you're, King of all Rapidash. Mine's only plain old Rapidash. <laughs> all right, so Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Nadia, as always, it's great for having you. No and I've been Cat Bailey, and until next time, happy adventuring. Thank you.